Kia ora. It's Friday 6th of September 2019 and welcome to the Week in Tax. I'm Terry Boucher, Taxpert and Director of Boucher Consulting Limited, a tax consultancy helping optimise tax for small businesses, individuals with overseas investments and other professionals. This week, Inland Revenue says, oops, are bad. Is it time for a tax advocate? More on crypto and another unknown unknown in tax. This morning, I and many other tax agents got a letter from Inland Revenue. It began, We have found some errors in the way our old system calculated late payment penalties and interest for the 2018 income year. The errors relate to a legislative change that took effect in the 2018 income year when new rules around interest were applied under Section 120KBB of the Tax Administration Act 1994. You do not have to take any action. Great. We will correct the affected amounts over the next few months. Priority will be given to updating accounts that have been overcharged late payment penalties and or debit interest or where credit interest has been underpaid. Clients who have met their tax obligations may have been undercharged debit interest or overpaid credit interest. They will not have to pay the additional debit interest or repay the excess credit interest. Clients who have not met their tax obligations will be continued to be charged debit interest on outstanding balances. A tax agent immediately Lamented, sigh. Really, IID? I went to battle with them on a few clients over this, and lost, because mighty IRD are always right. And now, turns out, I was right. There will be a lot of exasperation about that. But what it leads on to, for me, is the issue of small points on to, is the issue for small, for difficult, the issue of the difficulties for small businesses of engaging in disputes with inland revenue. And this leads on, this is something that I was actually asked to look at for the tax working group uh, in, in July last year. And the suggestion that we came up with was the idea for a tax advocate for small businesses. What was driving my argument and that of other interested parties is that Inland Revenue plays with a stacked deck of cards. It knows that. And it has a full weight of its departmental resources behind it. But it doesn't mean it's right all the time. And in some cases, um, disputes will arise between taxpayers and inland revenue over interpretation of the law. Capital revenue divide is a great example. Or in some cases, like just as I've just pointed out, where the tax agent knows there's something not quite right about the calculations. and But but hasn't got the resources to push the fight through. What ha- tends to happen, we see it continually, is clients make a business decision. Okay, we think this is deductible, but it's going to cost you $20,000 to fight it with inland revenue. How much is the tax at stake? $10,000. So it's an easy, in that context, many clients say, well, what's the point of fighting to it? Uh, paying $20,000 to fight over a, a deduction worth $10,000. So they pull the tents and walk away. And this has been going on for a long period of time. It's been well known within the industry and the complaints have been made or repeatedly um, through various channels, through the various institutes 
um, the Chartered Accountants of Australia and New Zealand have, and the New Zealand Law Society have made submissions on this in the past, um, talking about this particular problem. Because to take up a dispute with inland revenue, you go into the formal disputes process. And that's, there's a, a fairly laborious matter that's been in play for over 20 years now. And what you have is you issue what is called a Notice of Proposed Adjustment. Inland Revenue or yourself will come back with a Notice of Response. And then it sort of goes into limbo. There's arguments backward and forward. Then it may get passed through to Inland Revenue's Adjudication Unit. And then, after that, someone goes down to the real nitty-gritty Statement of Position and into the uh, Taxation Review Authority. It's time-consuming and expensive. And the result has been that there has been a marked drop-off in the amount of disputes going through to courts. And it's pointed this out to um, in the report that I prepared for the Tax Working Group. In the period between 1993 and 2002, there were 50 cases went through um, the uh, Taxation Review Authority and 20 through the High Court. Now, some of those would have been under the old disputes process. In the period thereafter, in the five years thereafter, in 2003 to 2008, that number dropped to 10 going through the Taxation Review Authority and just 6 in the High Court. In 2008 to 2013, there were just 9 cases in the Taxation Review Authority and in 2014-15 it just rose a bit to just 12. And a couple of High Court Justices, and Supreme Court Justices actually, uh, just uh, Mr Justice Young and Justice Glazebrook, both raised this matter that what's happening here. So, and, and what's really interesting is that inland revenue statistics around what disputes are going on, those are actually entered into the formal, what are called NOPAs, the Notice of Proposed Adjustment I mentioned a few minutes ago, and Notice of Response. And <coughs> over this, the seven years to June 2017, the average number of NOPAs issued during the year was 517, which, when you consider there are 4.8 million um, ta active taxpayers or registered with Inland Revenue, including over 400,000 companies, 240,000 trusts, that seems extraordinarily low in what is a very litigious area. We fight over a lot of disputes. So, the idea has been developed that small businesses in particular Back, uh, back away from fights with inland revenue, even when they are on strong grounds to do so, because they simply haven't got the resources. And it is um, beyond... They, they, just, they don't have the resources, and so they just fold a tent and move on. So the taxpayer, the tax working group, looked at this and considered and uh, that, quote, a taxpayer advocate could play a valuable role in... Fair, the fair resolution of tax disputes. Um, it is the advocate would play several roles, including the provision advice and facilitation and mediation services. And it recommended that the government establish a taxpayer advocate service to assist with the resolution of tax disputes. Now, when the uh, proposal, when the tax working group recommendations initially came out, that was not one that was picked up. But there has been some movement and pressure put on the government on the matter. And I know when 
I was at a presentation with the Minister of Revenue, Stuart Nash, and I deliberately raised this issue. Um, the audience greeted it, we met it with great enthusiasm. And I understand that in the background, officials have been working further on the proposal. It's uh, interesting then to note that when um, a few weeks back the uh, the government released background papers as to uh, advice given to cabinet on tax working group proposals. The very first one of the 33-odd papers was on the taxpayer advocate issue, which uh, made for interesting reading. Um, this is something that I think the pressure, I, will, I certainly will keep continue to raise, and, and I know other organisations such as CANS um, and ATTAINS, Accountants and Tax Agents Institute of New Zealand, will also be putting pressure on the government to um, push forward with. I think there's an idea here that the system here, in the interests of fairness, needs to try and establish a balance between the rights of the individual taxpayers to dispute what's going on and the power of the inland revenue to just simply shrug your shoulders and say, so what? We understand that just finally that this issue of the faulty interest and penalties was something that larger organisations picked up and it's probably us. The, the only reason that these guys, that this has happened is that larger organisations with the muscle to say, no inland revenue, you are wrong on this, um, will... <coughs> We're able to force, um, get inland revenue to reconsider it, what the legislation and what was happening and make the relevant changes. Moving on, uh, since the inland revenue released its uh, rulings on the pay, using crypto assets to pay salaries, there's been a great deal of enthusiasm about this in the crypto world. In part, probably inspired by an accidentally um, headline in the Financial Times, I understand, who mis which misinterpreted exactly what Inland Revenue had said to mean that the Inland Revenue had authorised using crypto assets to pay salaries. It hadn't done that. It had just merely addressed the issue of what would be the tax position or if crypto assets were used. And at the time, Myself and one or two other people raised the issue of the Wages Protection Act and whether, in fact, 19, uh, whether in fact um, crypto assets could be used to pay salaries. A colleague, J Jason Hosezen, a tax manager at Duns Limited, has now commented on LinkedIn that via query services, Employment New Zealand slash MB have responded that the Wages Protection Act applies so that payment of wages in cryptocurrency would not be legal and there has been no change to that legislation. So, <coughs> in short, um, not yet in terms of the authorised use of cryptocurrency to legally to pay salaries. Uh, another article this week has pointed out that it should be, it should be put in the employment agreements that you can do so. But, so there will need to be an actual legal change to the Wages Protection Act to enable the payment of cryptocurrency, uh, salaries to be paid in cryptocurrency. But that's not to say that there won't be um, payments that for employees that can be made through cryptocurrency. Um, the payment of tokens perhaps as a means of equity could be a, an equity investment in a crypto company would appear to still be possible.
So again, it's just watch this space. But I mean, Inland Revenue deserve praise for having gone out and sort of set out the basic principles. They're not terribly controversial, but they've done it and set it out. So it's to show a bit of forward thinking and clarity on the matter. Now, <clears throat> and finally, another unknown unknown. Um, uh, an Inland Revenue media release caught my eye the other other week, and it was about a Bulgarian data breach. Apparently, um, there was a data breach at the Bulgarian National Revenue Agency, and the Bulgarian National Revenue Agency has confirmed that a small number of people with New Zealand investments who are taxpayer residents of Bulgaria have been affected. The data involved does not involve any financial details for the taxpayers, only their IRD numbers, date of birth, and name and address details, which is fairly significant in the uh, case uh, for identity theft. How does the Bulgarian National Revenue Authority have some IRD numbers? Well, this is part of the Organisation of Cooperation, Economic Cooperation and Development's Common Reporting Standards on the Automatic Exchange of Information, um, CRS as it's sometimes referred to, or AEOI. This is a, a huge initiative in which vast amounts of data are being shared by tax aid authorities all around the world. And one of the complaints around this was the question of the fact of the risk of data being um, lost in or being hacked in, in this particular area. This isn't going to put a stop to the common reporting standards, but it's something that people are, are not generally aware how much data is being shared. But it also leads on to <coughs> that there are several other things going on in the world. Uh, initiatives on that, and these include in the EU their anti-money laundering directives. And the one that I want to talk about here, which has got on, uh, implications for New Zealanders, is how Britain implemented the fourth EU anti-money laundering directive. It did so by introducing big breath, the money laundering, terrorist financing and transfer of funds Information on the Payer Regulations 2017. Now those took effect in June 2017. Why they're important for New Zealanders is that any trust in the UK which has a New Zealand um, sourced, uh, sorry, has uh, if a New Zealand resident is in the UK and receives income from a New Zealand trust which has a UK source, the New Zealand trust will have reporting obligations every year it's liable to pay any of the following taxes in the UK income tax, capital gains tax, inheritance tax, stamp duty reserve tax which is on transfers of property uh, sorry of transfers of shares and stamp duty land tax which is on transfers of property and <coughs> it will then need to provide the name date of establishment, country of residence and country of administration of the trust details of the trustee, um, then all details including IID numbers, passport numbers for the, the settlor or current beneficiaries and any other person with the ability to influence the trustee's decision, which would be perhaps an example of the person who has the power to appoint and remove uh, trustees. Um, 
it goes on, and this is an absolute nightmare for trustees, they, they, they also have to provide um, description of the class of potential beneficiaries if you've got a discretionary trust, including any wishes as to future beneficiaries by the set law in a memorandum of guidance. Details of the um, trust's worldwide assets, including current record value, and this is the kicker, details of the trust's legal, financial and tax advisors. This is, this is, these regulations are largely unknown. I went out, spoke about them at um, the financial advice tax uh, conference uh, two weeks ago. Um, there was a general stunned silence in the room when they realised that many of their clients could potentially be caught by that. Um, so that is something, this is all part of the brave new world of tax we operate in, massive information sharing um, going on. Two risks there, one, as the Bulgarians have just found out, you could be hacked, or two, you may have inadvertently triggered some fairly onerous um, disclosure obligations. By the way, the EU's fifth anti-money laundering regulations are due to come into force in 2020. And some cynics are saying that one of the drivers for a crash-out Brexit is that certain people don't want to be part of the EU at that time because of their tax planning activities, apart certain wealthy Britons. Now, surely not, but who knows uh, what's going on over there at the moment. And on that bombshell, that's it for the Week in Tax. I'm Terry Boucher, and you can find this podcast on my website, uh, tax or wherever you get your podcasts. Please send me your feedback and tell your friends and clients. Until next time, have a great week. Ka kitiano.